Dearest and Heavenly Father, what a, what a blessing and honor it is to come and worship here together on the Sabbath. Lord, we, we plead for your presence. We plead that your word may come alive, that we may be able to take it home with us and make changes. Lord, the, the time has come. We are, we are nearing your coming, and Lord, you have a message for us. And I just ask that you will open our hearts to be receptive to your words. I want to hide behind you, Father. Speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Weddings are very, very special occasions. I'm sure that who, all of you that have gotten married can, can relate to this, that you just cannot wait for your wedding day. I remember when we were planning our wedding, um, there was many months of anticipation, many months of planning planning and planning and saving money and making sure that everything was right. But you know, when the day approaches, when you're just hours away from becoming man and wife, that's the hardest to wait. I remember sitting down and just ready for that moment when we could declare our love and, and be married. But you know, the Bible tells us a, a different perspective on that waiting and it, it shares a story about people that were waiting, but it wasn't the bride and groom, it was the guest. And I just, just picture with me in your mind, just try to imagine, it's an evening, um, Jesus is up with his disciples on the mountain, and he's overlooking the city. It's already dark, it's about sunset, and he sees a group of people, like a, a group of, of family, marching along the path with lights and excitement and music, and they were ready to go where? to a wedding. And specifically, they were getting ready because in those times, weddings were done in the evenings and the, the groom would go meet the bride and then they would have a reception at the house. So it was a very special event. It took, it took some time and so everybody was excited. And so as Jesus is overlooking this scene, he tells the disciple a story. Can you read with me Matthew chapter 25, and we'll start the first verse. And this story I've read throughout my entire life. I've known about it, read about it, but every single time I go through the story, God brings out new lessons for me, and I hope it's the same for you. So imagine it's, a, it's an evening, they're up in the mountain, and then Jesus starts saying, Matthew chapter 25, verse 1, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were what? Foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And we'll continue later on, but there are just some things that we can point out. There were ten virgins, right? All of them had lamps, correct? All of them had oil in their lamps. Their lamps, were they all burning? They were. You know, when I first, when I first looked at, at this passage, I always say, oh, I'm, I'm not the foolish virgin. I, you know, I'm the wise virgin. And no, I'm, I'm, I will have oil in my lamp. I'm not the one falling asleep. 
But when I looked at the verse, you know, it says they, they all slumbered and slept. So from a distance, from just reading the passage, there wasn't that big of a difference between all of them, right? They were all waiting the, the bride and the bridegroom. They were all ready to meet with them. They all had lamps. They had some, some oil. Most of them had oil. All of them were sleeping because the bridegroom tarried. Not some of them. All of them were sleeping. All of them were excited about this event. You know, when they were shedding the light, they were shedding the light to that path where the bridegroom would go to pick his wife. All of them were together on this event. And you know, we know in the Bible that the woman represents what? The church. And specifically, this is the church that's awaiting the second coming. So it represents the church right before the coming of Christ. Now, they are going through something that we're experiencing right now. And what is that? Sorry? A delay time. Waiting. Now, waiting is one of the hardest things to learn how to do. And specifically, when it's such an exciting thing you're looking forward to, you don't want to wait for it. You want it to come right away. Now, in those waiting times, we have evidence from the Bible that people can either do good in those waiting times or they can fall into sin. Give me examples of people that were waiting, but they weren't really waiting. They got distracted. What are examples of that? Yep, we have the, the parable also of the ten talents, right? The talents that God gave, the master gave the different talents during this time. Ben? Yes, indeed. We see that they start worshiping the calf while they were waiting for Moses. And instead of doing that, they could have been getting ready for such a special moment. They could have done so much. Now, in our time, we, we've had waiting. I remember when I was young, I thought Jesus was coming very soon. I expected him to come even before I went to college. And it's easy for us to get so used to the waiting that we forget to be alert, to be waiting to be ready, and we get so complacent. Now, we see they all had lamps, right? They all, and the Bible talks about lamps as representing what? The word of God, right? In Psalms 119, 105, it talks about the word of God being right, a lamp unto our feet. Now, we see that they all had lamps. They were trimmed and burning. What does that mean? Yep. They all had the word of God. They were, they were studying the word of God. They had Holy Spirit. 
Now, whenever I thought of, of the virgins, I always expected, oh, those foolish ones, they were the ones that were not really truly being Christians. They were hypocrites. And Ellen G. White talks about that, and, and it really shocked me. In Christ Object Lessons, um, chapter, chapter 29, page 4 and 11, it says, The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. They have a regard for the truth. They have advocated the truth. They are attracted to those who believe the truth. From the exterior, it looks like they're the same. They're attracted to the truth. They go with the people that love the truth. Now what's the difference? But they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit's working. They have not fallen upon the rock, which is Christ Jesus, and permitted their old nature to be broken. This class are represented also by the stony ground hearers. They receive the word with readiness, but they failed of assimilating its principles, its influence. It's, a, it's not abiding. The Spirit works upon man's heart according to his desire and consent, implanting in him a new nature. But the class represented by the foolish virgins have been content with superficial work. And now that stayed in my mind. With what? Superficial work. Now we see that they were not hypocrites. They were, they were wanting to, to wait for the bridegroom. They, want, they were surrounded by people that wanted to wait. But they had not allowed that Holy Spirit to transform their lives. Now we, we picture in, in Revelations also that the church of God is represented as the Laodicean church, right? We're, we're sleeping. We're, 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 we've lost that first fervor, that light, that love for the Lord. Look with me in Ezekiel 33:31. If somebody can read that for me, Ezekiel 33:31. Somebody can read it for me. Ezekiel 33:31. Is that us today? Can we be classified maybe as those foolish virgins, although we deny it? We come to church, we read the scripture, we ask for the Holy Spirit, but yet there's something missing. There's something missing. Why did they miss this opportunity? Why did the foolish miss this opportunity? It, it talks about them saying that they did not have that extra oil, right? They, the night went by, the time tarried, they had enough oil to burn, but not extra. See, the wise virgins were represented as having that extra oil that they could pour, trim their lamps, and when the bridegroom came, they woke up and they had enough oil to keep on going into the party. Now let's go back to Matthew chapter 25. I just love, love this parable and the example that it brings to us today. Why did they miss that opportunity? It says, let's keep on reading in verse 8. And the foolish said unto the wise, give us your oil, for our lamps are gone out. 
are we depending on past spiritual experiences to be sufficient for today? Maybe there's been a time in your life or a moment in your life or a day in your life that you've been really connected to God, asking for the Holy Spirit, really, really just burning within you with a love for God. And you just feel like that's going to translate into every single day of your life. Are you depending on past experiences? Are you depending on somebody else's spiritual experience? I think it's easy for us to forget that Christian life is a daily experience. It's a daily asking for the Holy Spirit, a daily asking for God's presence. Now, when the time was come, the oil that these other virgins had, it was enough for them. It wasn't enough for sharing with other people. So in the end time church, we will not see the difference until the very end sometimes. In the Matthew, it says that they, they all look the same, but yet at the end, something separated them, and that was that extra oil. But the wise said in verse 8, but the wise answered saying, not so, lest there be not enough for us and you, but go you rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy... What happened? The bridegroom came, and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, and these, these words I do not want to hear, Verily I say unto you, what? I do not know you. Now, you would expect that as virgins, they would, they would know that he would know them. You know, they were following after. They were going to the marriage feast. They had their lamps. They had their word. They had the spirit. But yet, when he came to the door, the groom did not recognize them. And God says, watch therefore, ye know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Now, I, I ask you. Does Jesus, does God know you? Do you come to him each day? Do you know him? When you read in John 17, 3, it says salvation is what? Going to church, reading scripture. What is salvation? John 17, 3. Know you. And Jesus Christ, who thou hast sent now, it is in knowing God, that daily relationship, that constant communion like with a friend that can truly prepare us for that time, that can truly help us be prepared, have that extra oil. Now, those lamps, they were supposed to be that light, that light shedding across that darkness in that town, letting people know what was the way for the bridegroom and the bride to meet, right? Now, isn't that the purpose of the church today? What is our purpose? Just to have that Holy Spirit, to be filled with that Holy Spirit and hide it under a bushel? No, it is to shed that light, to show other people how to get to heaven, how to get to God, how to have that relationship with God. Now, are we able to share that light? You know, if our experience is not a daily experience that daily communion, that daily going and growing with Christ, how are we to shed God's light? You know, there's been moments, go ahead.
Absolutely. We need to be asking for that, correct? In Acts of the Apostles, in, in, it, it talks about being ready. And it talks about the whole purpose of the church. It says it's, it's for that revealing of God's love. But yet we need to allow that transforming spirit to work in our lives, right? To be able to represent the right character of love. Um, I, I love in Ellen G. White, in Acts of the Apostles, it says... What is the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And this was specifically on the day of Pentecost. The glad tidings of a risen Savior were carried to the uttermost parts of the inhabited world. As the disciples proclaimed the message of redeeming grace, heart yielded to the power of this message. This is the result that we want to see in our church, in Crestline, where people come to Christ because what? Because they see God's love in your life, in your life. They're like, wow, I want this. I want to have this, this experience, this love for the Lord. It says, every Christian saw in his brother a what? A revelation of divine love and benevolence. Can they see that in your life today? If the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, the result should be to help us be more like Christ, to reveal his character. And that's what the world needs today in the end time. It says, a revelation of divine love and benevolence. One interest prevailed. What was that? One interest. It wasn't just about this or the other or argument about this or that. It was one interest. And one subject of emulation swallowed up all others. The ambition of the believers was to reveal the likeness of Christ's character and to labor for the enlargement of his kingdom. Isn't that supposed to be our mission? One thing that absorbs everything else that we no longer can think of anything else but that of sharing the character of Christ, his love, his benevolence. And we are told that revealing that benevolence, that love, is seen through our acts of service, feeding the hungry, giving a home to, the, to, to those that don't have it. It's that transformation. And those foolish versions, that's what they were missing, a heart transformation. They had all the signs of exterior transformation, but not heart transformation. They were dependent on past experience. They were dependent on that oil that had, they had put in their vessels, but it was not sufficient. Now, I, in my personal relationship, there has been time where I felt God's presence so strong in my life that I cannot deny it. And there's other times where I feel like that experience, oh, I'm, I'm still spiritual. I'm still committed. I'm still reading God's word. But you kind of become complacent in where you are instead of keeping, keep going up in your love for the Lord. Now, we need a fresh supply. And in Acts of the Apostles, um, chapter fi um, page 55 to 56, I just want to read you a part. It says, But unless the members of God's church today have a living what? Living connection. It's that knowing God. With the source of all spiritual growth, they will not be ready for the time of reaping. Unless they keep their lamps trimmed and burning, they will fail of receiving added grace in times of special need. Those only who are constantly re receiving fresh supplies of grace 
will have power proportionate to their daily need and their ability to use that power. Instead of looking forward to some future event when though when through a special endowment of spiritual power they will receive a miraculous fitting up for soul winning, they are yielding, yielding themselves daily to God. Are you doing that? Are you just saying, oh, I know that God will pour out his Holy Spirit in double portions and we'll be preaching the gospel? No, no, no. It's today. It's on a daily basis. Asking God for that daily supply. It says, daily they are improving opportunities for service that lie within their reach. Daily they are witnessing for the master wherever they may be, whether in some humble sphere of labor in the home or in public field of usefulness. You know, I was when I was in college, I always said, oh, I'm just, I just can't wait to be a missionary. I just can't wait to go overseas. When I was 12, I told my mom, I'm going to China. I'm moving there as a missionary. And my mom was like, you're too young. You cannot go right away. And I kept pressing, I want to go to China. My brother finally told me that he, you know, I couldn't because then he would be by himself all this time. But, you know, I was failing and realizing one thing. We are either missionaries or a mission field. And we're not to wait for some future event when I get to college and when I finish or when I do this or the other. No, no, it's every day asking God, Lord, use me today. How can I bless your name? How can I reveal your character? And that's what the world needs today, a revelation of God's character. Now you think, what would that look like today? What would the church look like today if we truly, every member, knelt down every morning and said, Lord, pour your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, use me today. How would that look like? I remember the story of Wesley, John Wesley, very common man. We know about him really well. But one thing that impressed me so much was, it, this is an assumption. Somebody said a story, which um, th they're not sure if it's completely true, but this is what the gist of it. They were saying that a person came to John Wesley and said, what is the success? Every time I see you preaching, the rooms are packed. The church can't hold anybody else. There's people outside the building, inside the building, everywhere. What's the success to your preaching? And he said, oh, it's very simple. I, I'm lit up with fire and people come to see me burn. You know, we're told of that story, the road to Emmaus. What did, what did those disciples tell when they were walking with Jesus? They were having a Bible study the whole way, right? This is probably the best Bible study you could ever listen to, <laughs> straight from the mouth of Jesus. And as they're walking through, they're just listening to, to the stories, the, how it's supposed to be, the prophets. They're just kind of getting a big picture of what's going on. They get there, they offer him food, and when they're coming back, what were their words? Weren't our burn within us? Weren't our hearts burning within us? Something like that? John Wesley had such a love, such a passion, such a living relationship with Christ that people could tell. People wanted to come to see him burn with Christ's presence in his life. Can people tell that of us? When they come to our church, do they see that, that power, that love, that relationship that, with Christ that just exudes? Or do they come and be like, boy, this church is sleeping. Boy, this is like any other church. Like any other virgin. They have the word of God. They have the lamp. They have the Holy Spirit. But yet something's missing. 
Now we see the Holy Spirit working in, in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite books. When you see the book of Acts starting off, what was the difference in their church? Did they have problems? Did they have arguments? Did they have persecution? They had everything. And sometimes we think of the, the church of Acts as being this like pinnacle experience, like, wow, this is the church how it's supposed to be. And we, we forget that they also had struggles. You can read throughout the book of Acts, they still had struggles, but what was the difference? And we just read it. They were united in one goal, and that was service, and the Holy Spirit was that binding, that unity that brought so much um, power. And we see that people were converted right and left, and yet we're promised that the Holy Spirit's pouring at the end time is going to be so much more. But God, will he pour out his spirit on those that don't need it? They're not working for the Lord. They're not seeking to bring others to Christ. God pours his spirit on those that ask for it, that need it. They're actively involved. And I do not want to miss this opportunity by just being complacent, by just feeling that my religious experience is fine. I'm better than the person next to me. I'm better than so-and-so. I read my Bible every day. I go to church every day. Mm -hmm. I give tithes. Now, there was one thing that w made a difference in these, in these members of the Church of Acts. Apart from the Holy Spirit, what was, what was the thing that brought that Holy Spirit in their lives? What was the thing that sustained them? What do you think it was? Prayer. A church without prayer is a church without power. Now, in my life, I feel like that's my biggest need. I need prayer. It says that prayer is, it comes only as a reason, the Holy Spirit comes only as a result of prayer. And there is one, I don't know if you've, if you've read this book, but I highly recommend it. It's by, um, by Mark Finley. And it talks about the Holy Spirit. It says, here is a certainty regarding genuine revival. Prayer initiates revival. Prayer sustains revival, prayer nurtures revival, and prayer follows revival. Now, when you think of the Church of Acts, they were a church that was not sleeping. They were a church that was revived. They were active. They were obviously very active in ministry. We see John Wesley. Was he dead sleeping? No, he was burning with the love of God, sharing Christ. And that is the church's greatest need today. It's a need for that reviving spirit that works in our hearts that can therefore make a difference. One of the biggest examples of, of the Holy Spirit working in the life of people and bringing about revival is actually the Welsh revival, which I think some of you have heard about it. And it started in 1904 um, by a, a, name, a guy named Evan Roberts. He was um, 26 years old, and he had been praying for 13 years, not two years, three years, 13 years, that his life would be totally committed, totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it is told of us that, that Mr. Evans would, would sometimes spend nights in prayer asking and praying for some youth in his church. He would just plead, God, be with so-and-so, be with so-and-so, bring about your love for them. It says that that this revival started out in a meeting. Um, they were having some youth meetings in his own church, his small church, 
and a preacher came and shared her own testimony about God's work and how the Holy Spirit had touched her life. And it says that 16 people, 16 young people there were converted. And it says that within nine months, 100,000 people were converted in a tiny country of Wales. How many? 100. And how did it start? With one man praying for 13 years and then one group of people just being revived and asking for the Holy Spirit. And as a result, the whole country was changed. Somebody said that the crime rates dropped. Um, the drunkards and prostitutes were transformed by God's grace. Pubs reported losses. It says that um, the Prime Minister of England wrote one Saturday night at the height of the Welsh revival that one tavern sold only nine cents worth of liquor and that many of those taverns were converted into places of prayer. Now imagine bars, places of great evil, were now converted into places of prayer. It says that some of the, of the political meetings and soccer matches were delayed, even postponed. Why? Because the churches were packed with praying people. Is that happening today? Often these prayer services lasted six to eight hours at a time. Hardened, spiritually calloused Welsh coal miners crowded into these spirit-filled services and returned to their minds, changed men. And it says that the, these miners, when they went back to work, they're down in the pits. The donkeys that only worked down there could not recognize, could not obey them because they were so used to profanity and screaming and shouting that these donkeys would not respond to these men because they were converted. It says that the change just came over so many people from great and small. It says that the revival then kind of went down around 1906, two years later, but the impact kept on going. And they asked one of the ladies that was part of that revival, and they asked, do you, what do you think is the reason for the fading of this revival or this, of this love for God? And it says, it has never been extinguished, she said. It is still burning in my heart. Now, I asked myself, am I this desperate for God's presence, for the Holy Spirit, for a revival in my church? that I'm like this young person just praying for 13 years, praying, praying, asking for Holy Spirit, doing my part in each day. A big revival can come, but I think Satan fears this the most. What happens if, if, if heads of the house, if, if, if women, mothers, children, what if they seek the Lord with such eagerness? Well, what would happen to Satan? Do you think he would be threatened? I think this is his greatest fear. Because when, when the Bible says of the Holy Spirit, God is desperate to pour it in our lives. He says that as a mother won't, wants to give bread to their child, so the father wants to do so. So it's not a matter of God not wanting to pour his spirit. It's a matter of us not wanting it enough, not seeking for it enough. Now, the book of Acts starts out with the pouring of the Holy Spirit. And if you go to the end of the chapter, is there really a conclusion to that chapter as, as the other books? There isn't. The book ends pretty abruptly as if there was something missing, like Acts part two needed to come. And I think it's because we are that Acts part two. 
The church continues the acts of the apostles, the acts of service, and we are the ones completing this book right before Christ's coming. But there's something that needs to happen in our lives. We do not want to be like those foolish virgins that have an appearance, a form of godliness, but deny the power. We do not want to have that. Look with me in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. We're about to be done. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open, and my ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house, that my name may be there forever, and my eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. Amen. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Humble themselves, pray, and seek my face. Turn away from their wicked ways. And it says that God will hear from heaven. I see a lot of potential in this church. It might be small. We might be few members. But there are so many people around us that don't know about Christ. There's so much work in your workplace there's so much to do, yet do you not want to be that instrument being used by God? Do you not want to be that difference? If God, if Jesus needed that much prayer, I think we need even more. I think the simplest way to apply the sermon is to go back home and ask God, I need you. Fill my heart. If you need to put alarms in your phone to pray, put alarms in your phone. If you need something in your refrigerator that says pray, put it on. We need to be reminded of our need of Christ. I forget so quickly that I can't do this on my own. I can't be that lamp that guides people to the bridegroom. If I am not being inside filled with his presence, when at work, I cannot reflect God's character if God's presence is not in my life. I cannot see a revival in my church if it doesn't first start in my life. I cannot be a good wife if I don't have his spirit, his fruits in my life. You cannot be a godly father if you're not for seeking for him. And you can apply this to your life. You need him. And unless we realize the position where we're at and realize we're not at the place where God wants us to be, it's very easy for us to plateau and just stay the same, just feel satisfied. God does not want that. Let's look in Acts of the Apostles. I'm sure you don't, if, I don't know if you have in your phones, Acts of the Apostles, um, chapter, page 419. Just bear with me as I open it up. Acts of the Apostles, 419. And it speaks about a promise that I think each one, each one of us can take home today.
issue finding it. Well, anyway, the gist of it is God wants to pour his Holy Spirit upon us. He wants to. We just need to ask for it. The only thing separating us from that experience that John Wesley had is our asking God to give it to us. So my prayer for you today is, is very simple. And my prayer for myself, this sermon is as much for myself um, as for anything else. This has been my challenge for the week, and that's why I wanted to share with you. Is Lord, am I that foolish virgin that possibly looks like the virgin, looks like the wise virgin, but is not allowing the Holy Spirit to transform those little things in my life? Am I not daily asking for that Holy Spirit to take me through these times that are not going to be easy? I want to see a revival in my life, in my church, but that it has to start with each one of us. Exactly. And people will come to see people that are burning for Christ, excited to share his love. So think, pray. When you go home, don't just put it aside and ask God, what's missing in my life? What am I not asking for? What am I missing? And God, God is willing to answer that prayer. God is ready to answer that prayer. And for me personally, I feel like God needs me to pray more, feel my need of him. And I just ask that you will, you will also plead for that. Plead for the Holy Spirit. Plead for his presence in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to thank you for examples in the Bible that quicken our hearts and challenge us to evaluate our lives to see whether or not we are truly converted. Lord, we, don't want, we do not want to be the ones standing at the door and being told, I do not know you. We want to be the ones entering in and guiding other people to Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to see a revival in this church, but Lord, we know that the only way is by personal revival. So please, Father, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts with that need of your presence, need for the Holy Spirit. Father, help us to realize that we cannot go on without a dramatic change in our lives. Be with us, church, and help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.